I know things you never see. You never see someone taking a shit while running at full speed. Come on, kid, get rid of some of them turds in the shit box. Welcome to the Bathroom Break Podcast with me, Rab himself. This week on the Bathroom Break Podcast, my guest is Jeff Zlotnick. He is the founder of the Meditation Initiative and also co-founder of Dharma Bum Temple in San Diego. I went down to San Diego and did a meditation with him and then we sat down for a conversation. It's a much different conversation than you're used to here on Bathroom Break Podcast, but it was pretty enlightening and I think you'll enjoy it. Cool. I uh, just wanted to welcome you on the Bathroom Break Podcast. Today my guest is Jeff Zlotnick. He uh, is a Buddhist and uh, has a lot of really cool uh, stories and and I uh, just wanted to kind of hear a little bit about your journey. Yeah. And uh, we just uh, did a meditation with you right prior to this podcast, which was, was incredible. Yes, we did. It was fun. I think I yeah. fell asleep while I was leading all of you, but it was, it was, yeah. <laughs> we couldn't tell because it was it was pretty uh, pr- pretty amazing to kind of just take that moment to yeah. sit and breathe, and and uh, I think we all forget to do that, and uh, and you're a nice reminder of, of for me to do it. <laughs> That's it, man. <laughs> yeah, keeps me sane, or at least saner than I was 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I wanted to hear a little bit about your story. Obviously, yeah. I know your story. I've known you a long time. Um, but I would love to hear more about it because I, what I've found that when I sit down with friends mm-hmm. of a long time, I, I actually learn a lot more from just sitting one-on-one and, sure. and kind of having that conversation and, and learning more about your journey because I, I've found that you, you think you know people, right. but there's a lot of days that I don't see you or you don't right. see me or I don't see my other friends or family or these things. And there's a lot going on in, in your life mm-hmm. that, that you're working through. And, and, uh, and so it'd be cool to kind of yeah. hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you want me to start like at the beginning? Like, uh, yeah. I, uh, so April 16th, 1975, I yeah. came out screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been screaming ever since. You know? <laughs> and I think, um, you know, for me, I grew up born in Chicago, but moved to San Diego when I was four, 1979. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I grew up youngest of three boys, um, you know, middle, upper class Jewish family, you know, spoiled to all hell, um, given everything I ever needed, wanted, you know, and never saw my parents fight ever, you know, and yeah. they just, in fact, last week just celebrated their 50th anniversary. And, you know, I mean, stay together 50 years is totally insane, um, but beautiful. And so I think I grew up in such a, nothing is perfect, but really a pretty close to perfect childhood, but I was still angry. You know, as a kid, I was angry, depressed. I was getting into fights, a lot of trouble, you know, getting kicked out of class. You know, I was always the, um, I was always fearless as a kid. And so that led me to, without any wisdom at all, not that I have some now, but I have more now than I did, you know, 35 years ago. Uh, I was just kind of a punk growing up and I was either your best friend and would do anything for you. Or if I didn't like you, I picked on you and I teased you and I made fun of you and I, you know, and I fought you and stuff like that. And so that was kind of my, my childhood. And I got to college and, uh, you know, for the first time actually through a fraternity experience, I got like introduced to a group of guys that were, we were no angels, that's for sure. But it was actually a group of guys that were teaching you how to kind of grow up and how to take on a sense of uh, responsibility and, and a maturity, even as an 18 you know, year old kid. And so I went from being kind of a high school punk to having to grow up a little bit as an 18 year old kid and really looking up to people who were basically my age uh, as, as friends and peers, but mentors also. So college kind of started to shape me a little bit, but I was still angry, still depressed, you know, 
instead of getting a fight on the baseball field, now I was getting in a fight on a slow pitch softball field. You know, <laughs> so yeah. it didn't change all that much. But when I was 20, I took a Chinese civilization class, and uh, my brother said it was an easy A, and it was. And so I took this class, and we had to read Intro to Zen by D.T. Suzuki. And so I read this book, and this is what 23 years ago. And all of a sudden, I was like, "Wow, this makes so much sense." But I'm 20 years old. I'm living college life, you know, yeah. and so living some Buddhist Zen, you know, monk life was definitely not in the cards. Yeah, I visited you guys uh, out there. <laughs> yeah, in Arizona. there was none of that going <laughs> yeah. on. You didn't see the meditation yeah. hall in the back yeah. of the house, huh? Just uh, <laughs> so you guys know, uh, Jeff is a good friend of my oldest brother, and I, I, uh, I, yeah, I came out and visited them at University of Arizona, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was you must not... not have seen the meditation hall. I guess. <laughs> I hadn't been built yeah, yet. it was hidden back there, right? <laughs> uh, it was right behind the keg, I think. Yeah. <laughs> One more layer. You know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that was that was uh, college, and uh, but something from that book always kind of resonated with me, and so I graduated college and got into the consulting world, and, and uh, ended up there was this guy Ron Rapp, you might you might know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and this is graduation night, and uh, I had my whole life planned out, and I was gonna you know graduate college, um, get a degree in counseling clinical psych and, and uh, you know uh, become a clinical psychologist like that was my path and and graduation night um, my best buddy's dad uh, said hey Jeff do you want to come work for me in Philadelphia and I, you know and I'm you know probably had about 10 beers at that time and I was like sure <laughs> sign, you know, me up. sign me up I'm in wait what are you doing I don't even know what he said you yeah. know? and I just remember saying to him like whatever you do I do it better than anybody there so hire me that's literally what I told him you know and yeah. you know your dad pretty well so yeah. that closed the deal I yeah. was hired before I even stepped foot and so what had happened was I basically shifted my whole plan where in college, I was working at 20, I was working in group homes, and I was counseling adolescent females, all who've been physically, sexually, emotionally abused. So I'm 20 years old, I'm getting into meditation, I'm reading about Buddhist stuff, I'm working with kids who grew up with tremendous amounts of trauma, things that I never even knew existed, you know, um, with the abuse and things like that. And so it really started to rock kind of my mind and my mindset. But again, I'm still the 20 year old kid. So I graduate college, um, I take the job, I moved to Philadelphia, and I was pretty miserable after about a year. And uh, I remember going into to, to Ron, and, and he gave me this book, uh, Sir Magister Ludi, The Glass Bead Game. And uh, he's like, you got to read this book. It'll change your life. And, like, I mean, I hate reading. I always hate reading. And <laughs> yeah. it's like 700 pages. I mean, yeah. I that think, dude reads. <laughs> <laughs> he does read. I think the book was probably longer than all the books I read total. <laughs> yeah, combined. Was like, college, right? what? It looks like an encyclopedia. <laughs> it, was, it was huge. I was like, 700 pages. Are you kidding me? So I read this book, and back-to-back weekends, 4th of July weekend, and the funny thing is, um, I go in, I read that book, I saw Goodwill Hunting, and around the same time, and it's, it's just, it's really funny, and I know, obviously, you know bits and pieces of it, but really how connected even to your, you know, your family, like, the same time I read Glass, uh, Sir Magister Ludi, I see Goodwill Hunting, and Eileen, stepmom, says to me, Jeff, I haven't seen you laugh the whole time you've been out in Philadelphia. And, like, she always knew me, you know, it's just kind of this right. fun, laughing, joking kid, and here I am in this go-go work mode, like, and I was miserable. So these three things happen. <laughs> I go into Ron's office on Monday morning, and I'm like, I read the book, I'm done. And he says, what do you think? I said, I'm moving back to California. <laughs> he was like, what? That's not why I gave you the book. <laughs> I'm like, I'm done. I'm sorry. I just, I can't do this anymore. You know, I need, I need to go back. So, um, 
I moved back and, and uh, about six months later, no, actually like three months later, um, I got a call from someone else in the company, Dave, Dave Williams, and he said, and this is 98, this is 98, 99, so the whole dot-com boom is happening. And so I was approached with the opportunity to build up a consulting practice on the West Coast. And I remember, you know, talking to your dad and he said, look, you can work from home, you can keep coaching baseball, you can do your prison work, you can do everything you're doing, but I want you to build business out there for me. And now we'll pay you twice as much, right? And just so I remember graduation, yeah. they started, I, my starting salary was $30,000. And I Oof. remember, <laughs> I, I remember though at the Dallas airport after interviewing with Tom Birmingham and, and you know, and then finding out I got the job buying a cigar and I'm thinking $30,000, dude, I felt like a millionaire. <laughs> I was 22 years old and I thought I was the greatest thing in the world. And the truth is at that time I was like, okay, I'm going to get married. I'm going to settle down. I can't go to school for the next five years and, you know, be as psychologist and you know all that kind of stuff. I need to make money and yeah. so that whole path starting from the 30,000 and then I'm miserable in Philadelphia my salary got doubled back in California so now I'm making twice as much money living from home you know working from home living my life having so much fun but I was still just kind of miserable and by 2003 uh, you know six seven years into this path I'm making a lot of a lot of money you know um, yeah. a lot a lot of money you know, no, <laughs> a lot of money. And, uh, yeah. But I was unhappy. And so one night, I'm in line at this club on Broadway downtown. And uh, 2003, I'm 28 years old. And it was my buddy's birthday. And we're in line. And, and I was like, I got no patience, but I got all this money. So I'm going to, I knew in this like moment, I had this realization in my head. And I don't mean like some outer body spiritual experience. I just had a realization that. I got no patience. I'm going to pay the guy at the VIP line a bunch of money to let us in there, drop probably 200 bucks. And then I'm going to get to the front of the line and go in and pay for myself and all my buddies to get in. I probably would have spent like $400 before we even stepped in the club. And then I'm going to buy us all drinks. I'm going to chase some girl or two around all night long. And I'm going to wake up the next day either by myself or with somebody and feel like crap. Sounds, <laughs> sounds, sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. <laughs> so I had this whole realization. And... The night continued, and that's exactly what happened. I woke up the next day at noon, and my first thought was, I got a headache. Uh, my second thought was, I got to go back to this temple. Six months earlier, one of my best friends, Kristen Shea, had taken me to a Buddhist temple. And I remember going to this Buddhist temple in 2003 and just sitting down and looking up at this Buddhist statue, and it was amazing. I just, this feeling I had, I can't really describe it. And it wasn't even anything that was said or taught or learned, or it wasn't a meditation. It was just a feeling of being in this place. So six months later, I have this thing downtown. I wake up and I was like, I got to go back to that temple. So I went back and uh, pretty early on, there was a teacher there, a nun, and she said, Jeff, you work so hard to make so much money to buy so many things. If you don't have so many things, you don't need so much money, you don't have to work so hard. And it just clicked. You know, I've always been very driven, very motivated, and I'm really not even any different now than I was 15 right. years ago. It's just my energy goes towards things that are helpful <laughs> versus right. things that are harmful. Um, but I moved up to the temple. I spent almost every day there. I didn't move in the temple, but I was kind of like one foot in, one foot out. You know, like I want to go to the Buddhist classes every day. I want to go to temple every day. I'll be president of the Western Sangha and build a Western English-speaking community at your Buddhist temple. And I'll give up my fat downtown loft lifestyle, but I still want to have my convertible and I still want to have my own. Right, right. <laughs> on my terms. Right? Yeah. So it was a slow two-year transition where I told myself I'm going to get to making money and spending money to making no money and spending no money. So it took me two years, and by 2005, I was pretty much make no money, spend no money, very little. And uh, then the nun, Venerable Ezure, said, Jeff, do you want to move to our monastery in Taiwan? 
so I was like, absolutely. So I kind of packed up and um, moved to Kaohsiung, which is southern part of Taiwan, and uh, Foguan Shan, and lived basically Zen monk life uh, for 11 months in a male Buddhist college. So you live um, like the gray shirt I had on earlier in the pants. Uh, you know, you have two, two pairs of those. Um, you wash them by hand in a bucket. You know, you got no money, you have no keys, you have no wallet, you have no phone. You're just every day living with Buddhist monks and nuns. Um, and learning how to take care of a temple and be of service to the people who show up. And after 11 months of that, um, about nine months in, uh, the venerable Yijir said, how are you doing? I said, I'm great. I love it. I don't ever want to leave. And she's like, it's time for you to go back. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, no, wait, wrong answer. I hate it here. It's miserable. Life yeah. sucks. So I haven't she, learned anything yet. I haven't learned anything. I'm such an idiot. And um, so she said, you need to go back and figure out how to integrate what you've learned into the community you're from. People, place, everything. And so what didn't make sense to me then, which clearly makes sense to me now, is that me being in a monastery in Taiwan was an escape. It was a beautiful escape. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry about any of the stresses and pressures of daily life. I could just focus on cultivating my mind and trying to be patient and slow down and learn Buddhist teachings. And, and so there were a lot of really beautiful experiences in that environment, but, what a, but that's not what I was brought into this world to do. That was removing myself from all the chaos of everyday life. So she said, yeah, you're ready. <laughs> Go back to the chaos of everyday <laughs> life. So uh, February 05, January 06, I'm in Taiwan. Um, and then came back and for the first kind of four, five, six months, floated around, did a few different things, Dharma Center here. First went back to the temple there, but I really saw what I call like a revolving door where, which really brings to the Dharma Bum world is that I would see all these Western people want to learn about Buddhist practice, but they go in and they see the bowing, the chanting, the robes, a lot of the cultural stuff that turned people off. So they go in once and they're like, yeah, that was cool. And they never go back. Yeah. And I was like, man, there's an essence to what the Buddha Siddhartha Gautama, just some dude was teaching that is so beautiful that if we could actually teach it in a manner where Western people can apply it to their life, this is going to be a great thing. So we came together at the end of 06, a couple of us, and we started the Dharma Bums. And, Initially Dharma Bum Center, now Dharma Bum Temple. And so for the last 12 years, basically, my practice has been bringing uh, the Buddhist teachings to local people. Um, and as you've heard me say already a few times, you know, we'll have 70, 80 people here for meditation, and none of them are Buddhist. They're Christian, Catholic, Muslim, Jewish, pagan, and we're just trying to get them comfortable integrating, you know, into a happier, healthier way of life. So um, a lot of history uh, kind of brings up to where we are now, but it's been... You know, and obviously each one of those little comments has, yeah. you know, three hours of story behind it. So I yeah. to skip through it. But um, it's been an incredible journey. And, and what I've learned, I think most importantly, is that um, actually, as I said earlier, I don't expect anything from anyone ever. And I don't expect anything from anywhere. I just try to bring what I've learned from this practice into my everyday life and be present with people. And hopefully it'll impact their life. Yeah, I know, and that's an and that's an amazing way to live. And I and I, um, you know, my story is that I'm in recovery and uh, and have been doing this for a good while, but but realize that I have a heck of a lot more to learn. Yeah. And uh, and it is, it's like working towards that. Yeah, you know, working towards being able to have no expectations mm -hmm. and working towards being able to cease fighting anyone and anything. And yes. and that's for me a work in progress because. Uh, like they say, progress, not perfection. I, I uh, will never be perfect, but will continue to, to work towards being a better version of myself. Yes. Um, 
I wanted to ask you a little bit about the meditation initiative because sure. I know you do some amazing work with mm-hmm. um, people in, in prisons, yeah. uh, people that are incarcerated, uh, as well as um, some of the military mm-hmm. and uh, some of the people that have experienced some, some severe trauma. Yeah, yeah so that um, in 2007, so I come back in 2006, in 2007, I've got a friend of mine who's a counselor at a local school here, and she says, Jeff, I know you're into meditation can you come into our school and, and share meditation with our kids? And, you know, I'm a Jewish kid in San Diego. And so I was like, okay, yes, I can bring meditation in, but I can't tie it to any sort of Buddhist stuff because you just can't do that. So ironically right. enough, if I'm a Buddhist going into a school doing something, then that's a no-no. But if I'm just a Jewish kid from Del Cerro, yeah. everyone's like, fine. Hey, come on in. He's <laughs> just another Jewish kid, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I kind of created my own way of bringing simple meditation dealing with stress anger anxiety sadness depression for you know emotional uh, mental health and, and well-being and i started in 2007 doing a simple five minute meditation practice with these kids and i noticed how transformative it was for them and then i started a friday morning moms group uh predominantly hispanic uh, spanish-speaking women and it was crazy because at that time i would lead the meditation and it was translated into spanish oh, nice. you know my spanish is not that great and so here I am for the first time leading it in a school and then with the moms and they were translated to Spanish and it worked just the same. So back then I was like, wow, this is really simple. Like in a world today where meditation has become so complicated for so many people, I just simplified it, you know? And so 2007, uh, is that inside here? Is that beeping? Uh, we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the smoke comes in. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so 2007, when I started that, it just caught on. And then I started at one school, and they said, you know, another parent had to get at a different school. So by 2009, I found myself in 25, 30 places a week, schools, prisons, hospitals, cancer clinics, victims of abuse, domestic violence, Catholic charities, Christian youth groups, Jewish Family Services. Uh, 2009, 10, started within the uh, veteran population, uh, wounded warriors, active as well, uh, coming back with PTSD and TBI, traumatic brain injury. So explosive blasts and... You know, I know something are. about that. I got a brother that uh, <laughs> that has experienced a lot of that, you know. And yes. It, and, it's, and it's hard to watch kind of... Uh, I didn't experience it myself, but it's hard to watch someone you love yes. going through post-traumatic because it is... Uh, it's real, you yeah. know. It's a real thing. That's, a, that's mm-hmm. quite a... Uh, a life to have to walk through, you yeah. know, and, 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 uh, you know, that's a, that can take me down a whole nother Definitely. path, but, yeah. but it, uh, but it's amazing to see, and, and I'm, and you got to see firsthand yeah. what just the meditation can do for, you know, so many, so many issues. Yeah. This was, uh, Oasis, which was the Navy's first residential treatment program for active military members with PTSD and TBI, which is beautiful that they're acknowledging it and addressing it, which, you know, generations back, it wouldn't have been the case, but at three different uh, naval hospitals and naval bases here in San Diego, again, very different from the Buddhist Dharma bum world, but just in a secular mindfulness manner of helping them deal with the stress and anxiety, but to see as well as within the recovery worlds in the military, you know, dealing with substance abuse programs there, mm-hmm. seeing how much the meditation practice in itself can impact them learning to stay present and knowing that these folks, they're dealing with family members, they're dealing with children, they're dealing with so many other levels of stresses and pressures that are very different from them when they're actually in, in combat and to have to come back to this world. It's, yeah. I, I don't, I honestly, I, I've always said to them, I've never been in your shoes, I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes. I know what it's like to be angry and depressed, but I don't know what right. it's like to 
do what you've done and to come back here. So I can only go so far with helping them because yeah. I can't experience their experience. Yeah. But um, I've seen it drastically change people's lives. Um, yeah. And a cool thing, I think I just had that thought that like by you kind of showing them, they can show others. And yes. if they can relate to their, their brothers and sisters that have gone through those things, yes. they can help one another. And, and I feel like you can have that connection because there is such a deep connection um, with the military, especially like I, I, I recognize that with my brother and yes. his friends. They're almost more uh, connected than he, he and I are. Yeah, it's a family. Yeah. It is, it is such a close-knit family. And there's a guy, Joe, good friend of mine over the years who actually started out as a patient in Oasis. Yeah. Uh, and, and the funny thing is we met every week for 10 weeks. And when we reconnected a few years back, he's like, yeah, I met you once. And I'm like, no, Joe, it was actually every week for 10 weeks. <laughs> but he was so far gone and so dumped yeah. up and on oh, so many man. meds and in such a bad oh, place yeah, that he didn't recall any of it. Well, his life has drastically changed from meditation. And now we work together where he goes into the military population and has gone into it. So it is exactly that. It's one thing for me to lead, you know, these men and women, but for him who's gone through it with them yeah. and to turn to them and say, look, so it's, I do basically train the trainer with the meditation is where I train people, whether it's military, whether it's prison, whether it's teachers teaching uh, uh, students, I train the individual how to lead a five minute meditation in that. I mean, I did that in prison to lead a train the trainer with seven men in a prison here in San Diego of all different races and all different gangs and all different affiliations. And then to have them go in and actually lead the rest of the inmates in a peer to peer manner was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. Yeah. On the outside, these guys are literally killing each other, and on the inside, they're leading each other in meditation. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. Man, that's a, yeah, it's such a cool thing. I, I would love to experience just kind of witnessing that, because I, I, when I just even doing the meditation with you today with, with 80 people in here, uh, it was just neat. And, and, and little things you touched on, just everyone's kind of in their own place, even in their own mind, and, and to see, like, how it does i mean it, it really helps and it and it, it was neat to kind of experience it with you because i know that when i first started trying to meditate mm -hmm. i was hypercritical of myself mm -hmm. oh, i'm supposed to sit here completely still and i'm supposed to breathe this way and i'm supposed to do it this way because this is the way and like i'm not that guy i'm a fidgety guy yeah. i'm like Ugh, itching i'm itching i got this going on and you and you addressed that in the beginning and said hey there's no proper way if yes. you if your if your leg is sore move your leg if there's this to, and i'm like yeah man that's like a cool feeling because um i i think with a lot of things in life it's really nice when someone encourages you when you're first starting out because it's very rare, and I'd almost go as far as to say that there's never a circumstance where someone is great at something right off the bat. Right, exactly. And if they are, it's because they've been practicing behind closed doors, <laughs> right. and then they, they show you, like, yep, first time, nailed right. it, you know? <laughs> and, uh, You've never seen me dunk, have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, yeah. floating up there to the rim. Yeah. But um, but it but it is nice and encouraging to kind of be yeah. a part of that. And and I and I mentioned to you that I've been uh, I've been meditating and I, I've been doing it for the last sixty days. And uh, and I have noticed a difference. Um, you also pointed out like don't expect to float away. Definitely. You know, like don't hey, the first time you're doing it, you're not going to wander out and be you know this whole new world and everything's no. changed and. And it, and it helps to kind of uh, weather the storm yes. of life. And, and so for me, but over the course of 60 days, I have noticed that I enjoy it and I look forward to it. Right. And it does help to settle my mind 
preparing myself to go out to my day. And then as I go out to the day, there's a little reminder in the day why I'm doing that in yes. the beginning and the end of my day because there's little things that will come up and you go, huh, that's what <laughs> yeah. this is all Catch about. Catch it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, yep. It's just been really neat to, to kind of experience that. And, and so I thought it was cool that my wife and I got to come yeah. down and, and enjoy some it, meditation. It, it's one of, to me, one of my biggest thrills is like, okay, you know, with the meditation, I love it because I go into places that wouldn't necessarily be seeking it. Right. So obviously, if you're in prison, you're probably not going to an outside meditation place. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people in, in the military world or in the schools or whatnot, they're not going to go looking for it. So when I bring it into them, I know that a lot of them are maybe doing it for the first time. If you come to a place like this, you've obviously chosen, unless right. you got dragged here by somebody, right? yeah. which happens once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> but you need this really bad. So you come. But for the most part, when you come to a place like this, you've chosen. But when you're having it brought to you, and I do a lot, again, in the educational system with administration and staff and, and superior court judges and things like that, where most people haven't done it. You, you, what you were just talking about is it's cutting through somebody at Sharp Healthcare few years ago said, Jeff, thank you for demystifying meditation. Because yeah. we come from a world where maybe we, you know, it comes from the 60s and you got the old TM type thing. Right. There's a lot of drugs around it or these magical experiences. So my standard line always is nothing's going to happen. You're not going to float. You're not going to have any mystical magical experiences. You're not going to figure anything out. You're not going to think nothing. That's the biggest thing. Right. People have never done it. Like, all right, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to think nothing. They're like, <laughs> think nothing, think nothing, think nothing. They're like, yeah. this sucks. This doesn't work. And then they give up. So just like you explained earlier, so many people, and that's my biggest rush, as I was starting to say, is getting people who've never done this to understand it's just sitting and breathing and to not judge it, right? You can't, and that's what for meditation or Buddhist practice or both, you mentioned this earlier, I always had to win everything I did. I always had to be the best mm -hmm. in everything I did. I always had to conquer everything I tried to conquer. And with meditation and Buddhism, which all is really nothing more than getting to know the nature of my own mind, there's no winning. Yeah. So it was like you were talking earlier about how you know God has funny ways of throwing things at us. They're like, all right, Jeff, you beat you beat this one, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't, yeah. You can't yeah. win. <laughs> the it's ultimate Rubik's cube. <laughs> right. that, 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 that the colors keep changing. <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah. yeah. That one actually, yes, it is exactly. That's a good metaphor. Um, so that's where, for my personal practice, I love it because you never stop and say, okay, I'm done. Yeah. It's not a six-week course. It's not like I've gone through some training and I'm done. It's an everyday practice. So in my personal life, I love sharing it with people who are brand new and getting them started and then motivating and inspiring people who've done it to keep doing it. Yeah. And in that process, it's also continuing to reinforce when I hear people, you know, the guy this morning about I was driving in the traffic and that's how it's helping me calm down. Like that's continuing to motivate and inspire me to keep my practice going. And once yeah. you stop and think like, I've got it. Yeah. No, you're done. <laughs> you, know, you got it. You got to right. keep going. Well, and that's the nice thing is that if you're like, if today you don't feel like you did a great job at it, you've always got either later today or that's tomorrow it. and you always have more opportunities to practice it. And that's, that's kind of a nice, um, comforting feeling that mm -hmm. I don't have to be great at this. I don't have to be able to shut my mind down. And that's really not even the point of it. Right. Like you had mentioned, because it doesn't really happen. And, and you're right, because when I first had kind of been introduced, uh, I think kind of from you, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I, I had like, you know, I think I tried it a little bit before on my own, but then the first like guided was I sat, yeah. sat in one of yours. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, 
and and I kind of was so clueless. I thought all those w crazy thoughts that are going around my head are supposed to go away and stop and clear out. And it's like, no, you just learn to sit while that's all happening. Yes. And uh, and it's really funny because um, you know my wife is is half Indian and uh, and her dad is from Mumbai, uh, formerly Bombay, and and uh, a lot of his family is still over there. So we went over and visited. Mm -hmm. And when we were over in India, I I can think like in terms of meditation, it was it was very much like a real life experience of what meditation is. It's like being calm amongst the chaos mm -hmm. because there, there are a billion people there. I would always joke like, hey, I'm just gonna go behind this bush to take a pee. And then you go behind the bush and there's like five people behind the bush like, hey, how's it going? And you're like, oh man, there's people everywhere and you can't escape it. And, and, so, uh, and so I'd be there and being like, oh, and I had to learn like that I just have to breathe. And we would do that in the morning. Um, her, her auntie would have this whole ritual and you give like peace offerings and do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was really neat to experience that because then as I sought out for my day out yeah. there, I was a lot calmer knowing, yeah, there's just gonna be people all around and, and like, I'm a typical American guy. I'm like, give me my space, man. I need some, I need some property, you know, you know, like, and, uh, and so. When, fence up, yeah. stay out, yeah, yeah. I'll let you know when I want to talk to you. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And that's my mindset. So, so going over there, it, it was learning that and, and, and having to, uh, just kind of experience that and be calm within the storm. Yes. And, and I think meditation is an amazing thing for that. Mm -hmm. um, I did find a good spot yeah. in, in India where there were no people. And, yeah. and oddly enough, it was in Rishikesh. Huh. Uh, we went to the Beatles ashram. Oh, very cool. And I'm yeah. thinking, this is the place is going to be packed too. And that was like the only spot where there was like <laughs> no one there. That's great. And I'm going, wow, this is, I'm blown away because it was amazing. They, they yeah. had written like, you know, a, a whole bunch of songs there and, yeah. and it was cool. Cool. Uh, if you remember that number nine, number nine, yeah. we went into like one of the huts and it had a number nine on it, wow. and that was apparently from from the that's Beatles right. thing there. So yeah. it was pretty neat to yeah. experience that too, and that's where I found my Definitely. space. And I think it's important for people. You know, I always it's like when people say to me, they're like, Jeff, hasn't haven't you ever had any magical experience? Like, hasn't anything ever happened to you? And I'm like, no. Yeah. All that's ever happened to me is I've realized what an idiot I am and what a greedy, angry person I've been most of my life. <laughs> that's pretty... That's a... <laughs> and I, but you know, but, but I, I wouldn't call that mystical or magical. I would yeah. just call that waking up to the craziness yes. of my own mind and then trying to change that. And I think there's a balance where because for the, you know, the most part, at least with the world I interact with, we're not monks, we're not nuns, we're lay people living in society with families and jobs and, and those types of things. So I think there's a balance between being able to bring the meditation practice into everyday aspect of your life and also finding quiet time, I do think is important, especially early on as you're developing a practice, to, to find time to, even if it's five minutes, you know, to walk yeah. outside, uh, to, to go sit on a curb somewhere, to lock yourself on the bath, you know, in the bathroom. You know, yeah. my mom, mom a couple years ago, she said, Jeff, there's only one quiet place that I get and that's in the bathroom. And I'm like, well, to put that toilet seat down and sit there yeah. <laughs> in a proper posture and just close your eyes and take some deep breaths. And so she started doing it there. So a balance of meditation in everyday life, 
But then finding some pretty beautiful places to go sit is, is also, yeah. I think, helpful. Well, and, that, and, that's, and that brings up a great point that reminded me of like when I was first getting sober. Mm-hmm. Um, they would I, would, I would, I finally learned the serenity prayer. Yeah. And so what I would do is when I was all out of sorts and feeling triggered and, oh, I'm going to do some drugs or I want to do this, yeah. I'd go to the bathroom yeah. and I'd sit there on top of the toilet yeah. and I'd say the serenity prayer over and over and over again. And that's because I didn't really understand how to meditate. Right. But it right. was like that was my form of the beginning the process of meditation yes. because all I knew was a serenity prayer. God right. grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. And I'd go. And when I first got sober, I couldn't get one, three of those words out. And I was like, I don't know what it is. My brain was all scrambled. And, mm-hmm. and then I learned that, and that helped. What it did is it just gave me a second to breathe. For sure and to be okay with whatever it was. And, and in the beginning, I had to remove myself from those situations that yes. would trigger and that would make me feel so out of sorts. And now, as time's going, it depends on the day, of course, sure. but on, on the good days where you're connected and feeling mm-hmm. right, you can sit there within that storm and not be triggered and not be thrown off so right. bad. And, right. and, uh, and, and now incorporating meditation into my life yeah. um, I'm hooked man yeah. it, it's it's a really cool thing and like you said it's not this it's not like this burning bush moment but yeah. it but it is like oh now I look forward to it and there is a calmness starting to really happen mm-hmm. and and it's become a part of a, a habit for me that I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to having each day and sometimes twice a day and and because you know whenever you need it and right. I think that's the nice part and you realize like you know this morning we did 20 minutes and you realize how little bit of time 20 minutes is mm-hmm. in your whole day right. you have so mu- many opportunities for that 20 minutes and even if you when you first start if it's one minute right. if it's two exactly. minutes if it's this it, you have those opportunities and that's the nice thing that i, I also learned as a process mm-hmm. of the recovery was like you can always start your day over exactly so if you're you're in those moments and you're feeling like oh I just, uh, I just want to like, you know, I just want to lose my mind on everybody. Yeah. It's like, all right, start over, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, I, the daily practice is critical. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't wait till our teeth fall out to start brushing. Well, you don't wait till your engine yeah. light blows up. Hopefully not to yeah. change oil. I'm so one of those. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but so that's the idea yeah. is to try to take care of it. Yes. The mind as maintenance, you know, no different than anything else we take care of. And if we're doing it every day, we know every day is going to bring so much chaos and so many challenges and so many obstacles. And I mean, you know what, it's like two o'clock or whatever time it is right now, you got all day and you know how many people are going to do things today that you're just not going to like, Yeah. you know, like it's endless, <laughs> you know, Yeah. Are you, I don't even know if you're driving back to LA today, but if you're driving from San Diego to LA, you know how many things are going to happen? Oh, I know. Five hours of your life. It, it was funny. The guy today at the meditation goes, <laughs> You know, if something like, you know, if once I get in my car and then I go here, you go, somebody might steal your shoes in the shoe rack before you even get to the car. And it's like, it's hilarious. Yeah. And that's where the daily practice becomes, it becomes easier. And this is really what you're talking about. It becomes easier to kind of default or drop into that calmer, quieter state where eventually nothing really triggers you. Yeah. You recognize the anger as it's arising in you and you recognize that it's just a passing thought. And you can either act on the anger or let it pass. And that one quick moment, depending upon the situation, can drastically change your life and the life of those around you. Absolutely. You know, the Absolutely. One, the one, 
going into prison for 15 years. You know how many people in there tell me, like, if I just thought for one more second before I Right, then you wouldn't something. have to be, wouldn't be there. in that situation. And, and the funny thing is, like, um, I do that. Like, you know, and I learned that from my, um, from my practice and my, my recovery of just, you know, constantly, like, more will be revealed. Right. And what I know that I do is I like to walk into a room, take a little, like, chaos bomb and throw it in there <laughs> and see what happens, you know, <laughs> because, hey, it's fun. It's yeah. actually awful because it really wears me out and it becomes yeah. this whole thing. But, but the, what I've learned is that is an opportunity for my disease of alcoholism to present itself and yes. go, hey, I really like when his world's in chaos because then maybe he'll get drunk. Definitely. And and, uh, and so I, I become aware of those things, and and uh, and and so developing all of these kind of ways to to basically, like you said, take care of your mind yeah. and, and your emotions. And you're cutting through behavioral patterns, you know, uh, addictions, and and I don't mean just from an alcohol, you know, but a, a behavior addictions right. that we've really cultivated and practiced in our personalities and in our beings our entire life. And so that's where, to me call it meditation, call it Buddhism, call it a spiritual path, whatever you want to call it, early on, as I was talking about earlier, it doesn't make it easier. Like, it makes your life difficult because when you stop to recognize mm -hmm. what a, you know, pain you are or what an angry person you are or what a mean person you are or what a disruptive person you are, <laughs> yeah. and that's just been your default mechanism for so many years, this path and this practice makes you look at that and say, I really need to change this. Yeah. And that's not fun. Right. It's not easy. It's a lot easier to go into the room and disrupt everything. Yeah. Just sit back and think, yeah, that <laughs> yeah. causes this problem. You know, and to yeah. change that. You know, and that's why, for me, this practice, it's every day. Like, yeah. you have to work on every day changing the thought patterns that you've created throughout your entire life. And, and that's a lot of work. Exactly. And, and it requires a lot of action. And, yes. and uh, we say that a lot. Action is the magic word. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, but in order to take those actions, <laughs> I think you need to, uh, you know, you yeah. need to be able to recognize and become aware. And like you, you said, it makes You it, can't just it, meditate, right? It's right, one of my right, favorite right. expressions is, <laughs> uh, people think that if you meditate, hey, everything's, you know, I'm a meditator, everything's better. You know? <laughs> no, if you're an angry person and you meditate, you're just an angry meditator. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> you have to take the, you have to do things in your life that make you less of an angry person. The meditation is not the be all end all. It's not the quick fix. Right. It makes you become aware of the yes. uh, uh, behavior patterns that we then can work on changing. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's and that's amazing. And uh, so I wanted to get into a little bit of the Dharma Bums yeah. Temple because what I watched all of you guys do, and and I know you know um, I know you specifically, but I know that there's a lot of great energy behind what yeah. is happening here. And um, I watched you raise an incredible <laughs> amount of money to to uh, to get yourself a home yes. as far as a temple. And uh, we're sitting here in the temple right now, yeah. and uh, and it's just amazing to watch it work because I, I said something to you downstairs a little bit, and I was saying something to Asha. It's like. Um, it's really cool because you you took this path in life, mm -hmm. and I said like when my brother was like, I, I don't know what Jeff's up to, like it's kind of weird, like, and, you know, and and then 
and then he realized like you were finding yourself and right. you were finding your path and then and then but like anyone in the beginning yeah. you're skeptical what's going on with him is he right. all right, right. and he's then off the deep yeah end. and then and then you realize oh he's actually found his path and right. his purpose and then he's the first one to get behind and go no this is awesome yeah but but in the beginning you're going my best friend is like he's called, he's he's becoming a monk or something right. like I don't you know I put and, a damper on our Vegas trips I put it yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 I've been on I've been on those put Vegas, our Vegas trips early yeah, yeah, like, yeah, well, you don't yeah. do this anymore you don't do this anymore you don't do this anymore I guess there's no need to go to Vegas uh-huh. yeah. yeah well that's probably a good thing I think for all of us involved yes, yes. Um, but but yeah I, uh, I I I watched kind of that happen with you and the evolution of that but what I what I was going to say is that. I watched something happen within you and it was cool to realize because it's, it's something to aspire to and to, to implement into my own practices and my own life is to have the faith that it will work yeah. the way it's supposed to work and letting go of the results, mm-hmm. letting go of, of what is going to happen and, and, and all that because you basically allowed yourself to let go and let life itself take care of you. Yes. And I've watched, and I mean, this is just my outside perspective, but I've watched like the universe take care of you in, in an incredible way Yes. because we're sitting in this amazing (laughs) temple and we're doing meditation and and you are helping so many people and uh and they're helping you in in return and we talked about that how it's taking care of yourself in order to be able to take care of other people and and uh and it's just so neat to watch the universe take care of someone when they just trust that it will and 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 I, I'm blown away by that because a lot of times I struggle with that. I, sure. I struggle with like, is it going to be okay if I don't just control it all the time and make it the way I want it? You know, and, and I realize whenever I try and make it the way I want it, it never goes that yeah. way. Uh-huh. It's, the, it's the tell God your plans and, and he'll laugh at you kind yeah. of thing. And, and it's true. And, and, and so it, it kind of reverts back to when you mentioned like I had my life planned out I had this I was going to do this yeah, I was going to do this and look at it now like yes. how different it is <laughs> yeah. and how far from that plan it's yeah. gone but imagine if God or the universe yeah. or whatever you want yeah, to call it like imagine if like they, they just <laughs> let the uh, you know if they just let that go according to your plan yes. how much less you would have experienced and, and how short you would have sold yourself Definitely. by just going, I want it to be this way and that way and this way, yes. rather than, than giving in to, to the, 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 the infinite wisdom of the universe and allowing it to kind of take you in the direction yeah. that you're going. And I, I just find that amazing to witness it as a friend of yours, sure. having seen the evolution and seeing <laughs> continue to grow and change yeah. as it is. It's just so cool to watch that and go, yeah. this person is like, Maybe they're not fearless, but they have the courage to allow that to happen and yeah. to and, and to follow kind of where it takes them. And, and it's, it's been neat to, to see that. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's funny when we start, you know, so we were brief context, but when we were downtown with Dharma Bums for 10 years, everything with Dharma Bum Temple is free. Everything with meditation is free, right? Like nobody's making money off yeah. of this stuff. Everything's free. We don't ask for donations. 
so we start Dharma Bums end of 2006, and we run in this tiny little 1,100 square foot loft downtown, like 50 people upstairs, and I'm always afraid the loft was going to like crash. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. And then we get an opportunity to buy this 90 year old church that was going to get torn down and turned into condos, and we had to raise basically a half a million dollars in three and a half months. And yeah. so when I got hooked up to a, a good commercial realtor here. And I said, we want to buy this old church. And uh, it was actually funny. My mom, you know, Jewish mother, she's like, I never thought I'd say this to my Jewish son, but I hope you buy that church. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, I've never been a religious, I've always say this, I've never been a religious person until we pulled off this place. So it's like Jewish kid, Buddhist, in a Christian church is, is ridiculous, right? Like, right, right, right. And this is where I was like, there's something else out there. Because so when the realtor, when uh, John Jarvis, he said, uh, he said, how much money do you guys have? This is 2000, end of 2016 at Dharma Bum Temple. And I was like, we got $7,000. <laughs> and again, in Dharma Bum dollars, it's like monopoly money. Like that's yeah. millions. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was millions we're of dollars. Sitting on so we're sitting on pretty you know? We've got at least three months <laughs> rent in the bank. We're solid. Yeah. And it took us like 10 years to get to that point. And uh, he said, you're going to need $100,000 to open escrow. And I'm like, we'll get it. He was like, Jeff. You have seven thousand dollars. <laughs> we I'm got like, it. We got it. Don't worry. Right? So we put I'm in the offer. Pet on black. Go about to Vegas. Side. And that's, yeah. that's actually people joke about that. You yeah. Know? They're like, just put it all on red or whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, so the funny thing is, so we started the campaign, and in the first fourteen days, and it's not about the money, but in the first fourteen days, to the banks, it is about the money. Right. 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 The Some people. 14, that no, matters. It doesn't matter how Buddhist you are. Like banks want money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 And, um, There's Buddha just cashing a million <laughs> yeah, dollar check. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so we raised uh, three hundred twenty-one thousand uh, from, uh, or I'm sorry, a hundred and uh, uh, three thousand dollars from three hundred twenty-one people in the first fourteen days. So 14 days, $100,000 from 321 people, and we opened escrow. And the cute thing at that time was like, yeah, we did it. We bought the church. I'm like, no, that just, that we just started. opened escrow. You know? <laughs> yeah. We need to raise, it was, four, it was 35% of the property. We need yeah. to raise $490,000. And the funny thing about the campaign was um, I don't think other than my mother and Maggie, anybody thought we would actually pull this off my father too probably yeah everyone was like we hope this happens we want it to happen we're all going to contribute to make it happen but i don't think anybody really thought this little group that had no money could raise a half a million dollars in what yeah. to 108 days and we did and it was 1123 people that donated um to get that money and the most beautiful thing about it was it was a collective effort, and what happened was someone said to me, well, do you have wealthy people in your community? I said, this isn't about wealth. I don't know how much people have, but I know what the heart of this community is. And so everybody, like the college kid that took out $11, actually he took out $1 a month. Yeah. He took out $1 from his wallet, and he's like, here, I want to contribute to the campaign. And I saw it happen, and he, as he opened up his wallet and he took out the $1, he noticed that there was a $10 bill there also. Yeah. And he, he was actually the president of our college group, and so he'd take out the one, he gave me the one. And then... He started to kind of put his wallet away and then he pulled it out again <laughs> and he pulled out the 10. Yeah. And I told people that that $11 was worth more to me than any donation that we got. I mean, the $80,000 one was nice. Yeah, 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 yeah right. deal. But the $11 was so beautiful because college kid, no money. Here's a dog. He's eating, living on top ramen. Yeah, that you know, 10 bucks is going to last the whole week. That's a whole week. Yeah. But he knew how important building a place like this was for the community. Yeah. And even though it's a Buddhist temple... There's really not Buddhists here. It's a peaceful place for people from all races, all gender identities, all sexual orientations, all religions, all cultures, all walks of life can just come together 
and be in a peaceful, quiet place where we don't talk about religion, believe it or not. We don't talk about politics, right? And if yeah. you remove those two topics from the table, yeah. you can it, actually get along. Yeah, <laughs> and you can actually be calm. Be calm. Yeah. So. But that's a beautiful thing that, that, that it kind of it brings. It just brings humanity together. Absolutely. And, and, and all of those labels of you're this or that or this or that are all, you know, kind they of set away. aside for that that uh just that connection absolutely that's that's incredible i think obviously like i'm not you know i'm not trying to save the world but we we absolutely need more of that and that and that um you know that we're lacking that a little bit i'm lacking that and uh i'll take responsibility for myself and not worry about what other people are doing but i'm lacking that and i need to be more that way yeah and that's a nice reminder yes and i think that a place like this is there to not it's funny because people often show up here and I'm like, why are you here? And they say, well, I want to learn about Buddhism. And I always ask them, well, how much you know about yourself? And they're like, yeah. And I always tell them that, well, all Buddhist practice is, is holding up a mirror. Yeah. And all this is doing is it's looking back at yourself. It's reflecting on what can we do as individuals to make this a safer, healthier environment and world. I was going to say, it's kind of like getting married. <laughs> yeah, there, you, yeah, there you go. Yeah. you got to look back at you yep, and say, mirror comes what is up. this argument really about? You know, and yeah. you recognize, like, yep, I'm wrong again. But, yeah. Yep, I'm waiting once in a while. Could I be, nope, I'm wrong uh, again. <laughs> so it's, it's, but that's, but it's, yeah, it's no. taking responsibility on your shoulders. And, you know, once we solidified this place, and we've been here now 14, 15 months, and being able to just continue as a free place for everybody to come, that's what we want people to recognize, is not to come here to become Buddhist, but to come here and be closer to who they are. During that whole campaign, when you're raising all that money, you don't, there's no guarantee that it's all gonna work out, but you just, you do have, you have that ultimate faith and that ultimate trust that like, I always say that that campaign was the greatest practice I ever had to do because I had to stay so focused, so present, so just, Intention. And I'm not saying I'm a pure person, but my intention had to be so pure. And every second there was something I had to do to make sure this all came together, a million moving parts. And at the same time, knowing it could all fall apart at any moment. Yeah. And I couldn't get lost in the story of what if it doesn't happen? What if you don't do this? What You, you just keep going with every thought, every intention, every word, every action in a positive, healthy direction. And you let go and you do. You almost have complete faith and trust in the universe that everything is going to work out. Yeah. However, it's supposed to work out, and letting go of control, dude. For me, as a human being, <laughs> I mean, you know, I yeah, try to control yeah. everything my entire life. Uh-huh. I was pretty good. At I know it, 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 it. <laughs> and that's what makes it worse. Is when you're good at it, yeah. it just is even that much harder. Right. And I and I think that that is that is that's a huge challenge for me. It's a, it's in one of my character defects when I went through my step work and did yeah. that stuff. It, um, because, like you said, like like my self will does make things happen. Yes. So it's hard to go, I've got to align my will with my higher powers right. will and do that and go, oh, that's hard to figure that out because when I just say, no, get it done and get it done, and then I do that and it, and it works. Right. So there is that finding that There's balance. There's a balance. Yeah. <laughs> it actually remembers like, yeah. you know, when, when, you're, when you're pushing to raise that much money in a short period of time and Travis has been around for years, he was like, Jeff, I've never heard you ask for money in seven years. I'm like, yeah, well, for the next three and a half months, get used to it. <laughs> that's all you're a lot of it very quickly right yeah but I remember someone saying to me one time they were you know uh, the campaign was pushed pretty hard you know and, yeah and someone and a few people didn't love the fact that we were pushing so hard to raise this money yeah. but it's what we had to do and I remember someone saying to me like Jeff maybe it's time to like turn it over and just have like faith in the universe <laughs> kind of stuff and then yeah. where I was like okay yes 
I can have faith in the universe, but if I sit back on my couch and watch TV all day long, another $150,000 is probably not going to show up. Right. So there are things that I, ha and that's where that right. balance is different for everybody. Like right. coming back to your action thing, you can have faith, you can have trust, you can have the letting go, but I couldn't just sit and eat Cheetos all day long. Right, <laughs> right. I had to do things, and there's that balance of doing things. Absolutely. And not trying to control or manipulate too much. Right. And that's a fine line. Well, and, and, I, and I think it kind of, like, um, can relate to, like, rowing the boat, mm -hmm. just not worrying about steering it. <laughs> right. Like, it's like, you know, some something else out there is steering that, but yes. you, you've got to row. Yes. You know, and, and, and so I think it's that they always talk about easy does it, but mm -hmm. do it. Yeah, and I so you, you know, like ha having to, uh, yeah, just hope that you sit on your couch and it magically all appears. Uh, that right. doesn't. Like if I sit here all day long and meditate and just imagine <laughs> Ferrari, 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 yeah, right? red outside. Now, are we done yet? I want to go to my Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> that Ferrari ain't showing up. Yeah. And right. there are people out there who would tell you and believe that if you do that hard enough and, and long right. enough, but you visualizing take and stuff. the actions. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's what I and think. For the record, I don't want a red Ferrari, but right, I was right, doing right. when I was younger. Right. And, you know, yeah. I'll just borrow Dave's. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, and then you drove Dave's and you're like, it's not all it's correct. Yeah, I don't know how to drive stick anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but, but, it, but it brings up good point because, um, because you do hear a lot about visualization and I do believe yes. that it, it can, what it can do is not, you can't visualize, Hey, I get the red Ferrari and then the red Ferrari shows mm -hmm. up. It's more of you visualize yourself where you want to be and i don't think that that necessarily means uh material things Definitely. but you visualize where you want to be and if that means happy and if happy mm -hmm. means that your your marriage is 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 going really well and you're enjoying yourself and you're and you're exercising and mm -hmm. taking care of yourself and and you're calm within mm -hmm. that that visualizing that stuff is is isn't a great thing Absolutely. and even if it does come to the material things and you say i would like a home so sure. that i can raise a family and those things Visualizing, I think, can start the process, sort of like how meditation makes you aware. aware. Visualization can start the process of how do I get there, yeah. but without taking action on that visualization, it will never come to pass. Right. And so I, I you know, yeah. I can, I, at least that's part of the thought process that I was having. Yeah, like, that's the old um, Stephen Covey, when he first did Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, that was one of the mm -hmm. seven steps, was to begin with the end in mind. And when I was an old business corporate person, that was yeah. always, and then I just translated into my life. And to me, that's very similar that, yes, I can imagine what it's like at the end result. And I think that as a, um, something to work towards and to visualize what it would be like, like I used to visualize what it would be like for all of us to be in this space. Yeah. And that's what I did before we even started trying to get it. You know, I had to visualize what is it going to be like in here? Do we want it? Is it going to be healthy? Is it going to succeed? Is it going to thrive? Yeah. So I think you have to, to some extent, imagine and visualize what something will be like at the end, because like you said, that is what's going to motivate you, inspire you to work so hard to, to make it, to make yeah. it happen. Well, it's pretty incredible because we're sitting in we're here sitting right in, now. Yeah, it's, it, honestly, it's still every day I walk in this place and I'm still amazed 
that we we pulled it off and it's yeah. been 14 15 months now yeah you know and it is it's uh it's i think it's got to be you know a lot of gratitude to kind of uh be able to be here and and you explained along the way for me mm. all that people have contributed Everything. and you know it, it, it's amazing to see a community come together and yes. say we want this and you know what i'm going to help out and i've got i've got men that can help build some things yes. i've got people that have stuff for you know for the um for the temple and, and and it's just it's really neat to see like it's a refreshing feeling to see how people come together yes and they love to take care of you know to me building community is they get a lot out of this space you know and you know that we the, the adult classes we have family classes we have huge recovery community here uh, we have prison outreach homeless outreach so there's so many wonderful programs and so obviously people that come here benefit from that but a big part of the way this is set up is we don't have a master. There's no head monk or nun. We're not like serving, you know, yeah. a higher, you know, person sitting in, uh, up there that's like looking down on everyone. And what that means is everybody here has to take care of the space. So if the bathroom's a mess, there's no cleaning crew that's coming in at 11 o'clock yeah. to clean the bathroom. Yeah. And uh, it, it creates an environment where the community is taking care of the space and then they take ownership of it. Their yeah. heart is there. They've cleaned it. They've taken care of it. They've given back to it, you know, in supporting it in whatever way that works for them. Um, yeah. And that, I think, keeps a strong, safe uh, space. Yeah. No, that's, that's amazing. I was thinking that of, of like, if there is no one kind of being the head honcho, right. it does make everyone feel a part of yes. and, and take ownership. And that and that is true in, in my recovery program. There's no government. There's nobody. It's, yes. We're all doing that together. And, and I think that that really, uh, it does. It, yeah. it, it encourages you to want to do those things yes. rather than, you know, trashing the bathroom and going, somebody will get it. <laughs> right. You think about, you, it's more than mindfulness practice of, yes. of like being mindful of, of you know, uh, you know your surroundings and 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 what what kind of footprint you're leaving. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, I appreciate you sitting down and chatting <laughs> yeah. with me, man. It's it's like I said, it's been really cool to see the evolution. Thanks, man. And uh, and and to watching you raise that money to make this happen <laughs> was like, whoa, whoa, that's a crazy amount of money, and this is all happening. And and it was it's neat to see that. Like I said, just just witnessing kind of the universe having your back. Yes. And just pushing it for the greater good and yeah. and. Uh, and and I feel like I get to reap the benefits because I come down and For hang sure. out and do a meditation with you. And, For sure. And, and there really was that moment where I said, like, even with this place, like, I had the keys before I should have had the keys. Yeah. We were in here before we should, like, there were, and, and you know, the reverend of the, the Swedenborgian congregation, he's a, you know, Christian mystic, but also got into Buddhism. Like, there were, there were so many things happening yeah. in this space <laughs> that I was like, Maggie and I say this all the time, like, it was almost like it's already done. Yeah. You know, the Swedenborgs had this for 89 years as a spiritual place. Actually, D.T. Suzuki wrote a book in the 1900s titled Swedenborg Buddha of the North. Swedenborg lived in the 1700s. So the practice of the Swedenborg uh, uh, faith, according to D.T. Suzuki, was very similar to Zen Buddhist practice. So I felt very comfortable when we tried to get this place. But the moment we walked in, we just felt like in a way it's already done. We just have to kind of let the ego and self get out of the yeah. way, take that action we've already talked about. And I kept telling myself, Jeff, don't screw it up. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> you said, you said, up. let the ego get out of the way. And I'm like, that's not an easy. That's not easy. Like, <laughs> yeah. don't screw it up. Like, you got to take these steps. But I really did feel like there was something going on 
in this yeah. place that said we don't want more condos here this needs another hundred years of life as a spiritual place for the community and um, so whatever that was that took right. over here and and, and uh, yeah. kicked me out of the way. <laughs> Thank you right. very much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do it yeah. more often. But that's cool. That's very cool, man. And uh, I'm proud of you Thanks, for man. for uh, for for going down the journey that Thanks, you, you knew you needed to go down, and, and that's uh, that's cool. So, I, and I love you much. And yeah. I love, your journey's been inspiring <laughs> as as well. Not easy to unplug from a world you were yeah. in and, and get on this journey and this path because a lot of people are down that end and they they don't come out. Yeah, they really they really don't. I do feel very very blessed very very grateful for uh from coming out of that other end yes. and, and it's neat it's cool to be on this ride with for you man sure absolutely <laughs> cool thanks man all right yeah thanks